Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Welcome, folks, and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the Good Gardening Stroll shortly, but right now you can call 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with questions, comments, concerns, or whatever it happens to be about the outdoors. And James will be answering your phone call. All he needs is your first name and where you're calling from. He doesn't need to know what you're calling about or anything else. Mr. Kelly, before you take off, sure. Uh, it's getting. It's been very, 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 very dry. So how yeah. is your garden doing? Doing well. We uh, we watered it uh, as as Sue always says. Mike says. What what is it? Twenty minutes once a week or something like that? No, 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 no. much longer than that. Oh, half hour. Yeah, half hour. Than, okay. Whatever it takes to get a, an inch of water per week. Okay. Well, she tells me, and I do it. <laughs> and and so we we did that. We got the sprinkler out the other day. We we're going with the potted plants going out every afternoon, sometimes in the morning, whatever, making sure they're all watered. And uh, so far, so good. The one that we're having trouble with is a fuchsia, and I think we have it in the sun too much. So also, it's going into the shade now. Yeah, they don't yeah, like it they here don't like, anyway. Yeah. Oh, really? No, they don't do well here. Why do they look so pretty in the in the at the at the nursery? Because they are in a specific type of greenhouse, which makes them look nice. So, in other words, uh, if what you should do is, if you know somebody in Southern California, ship it to them. <laughs> That's where they do really oh, well. God. They're so pretty. Yeah, they are nice. Ah, uh, well, we're gonna try anyway. Good luck. Yeah, we're gonna so. I fool around with different stuff, too. So that's his advice. The garden guy's advice is ship it to California. <laughs> Boy, thanks, Mike. <laughs> I try to be truthful. <laughs> well, that's important. You're honest. You could have said, oh, yeah, it'll be great. Yeah. So, okay, I appreciate it. All right. <laughs> Either that or put an air conditioning dome over it. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll, put, we'll bring it Keep inside. It cool. Yeah. Here we go. Okay. Well, that's good to know. All right. Oh, well. Can we take it back if we have the receipt? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if it's all beat up. <laughs> uh, we'll beat it up. <laughs> all right. Folks, on Saturday morning, we get together and have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your side yard. What's going on in that front yard, that area around your mailbox? Why do you think you need to have a planting around your mailbox? And if you live in the city, you don't have mailboxes for the most part. You have mail slots in your house. Anyway, especially garden space, the taste of the tropics, house plants. What is potting mix and how good is potting mix versus potting soil? How to improve your soil before you do any planting. That's what Brian Kelly did. They spent a lot of time getting their soil ready, ready before they got their garden planted. What's going on with bugs, diseases? 
and using the information that I'll share with you to uh, orchestrate the best decision and uh, solidify your options or just say, the heck with that guy on the garden hotline. I don't care what he says. I'm going to do it my way because my way is my way. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home car or wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player, as I said before, is James. He's producing today. He's across the big board. He does all the buttons and everything else because they tell me, don't touch any buttons because I might screw up the system. Anyway, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. And uh, during the week or weekends, I can come to your home and do a walk and talk where we take a look at various things that you have on your list. And uh, also, I keep my eyes open for things that might be impacting your plant material, your landscape, or whatever it happens to be. This past week, I was in Columbia, Illinois, and <laughs> great house. These people had, they've really done some great work, and uh, it just, it was very, very nice. And then today, after the show, I'm headed over to Belleville and then down to Waterloo. So uh, kind of a streak of Illinois, which is great. And what you can do is go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. And probably easier if you did the email because phone numbers sometimes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. But anyway, it's up to you. It's your choice. Well, let's get moving. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Historically, on the first day or at least within the first week of uh, season change, I do a good gardening stroll around my landscape. So today is the first day of summer. And man, I stepped outside. I could barely breathe. It was so hot. Anyway, after a nice, cool, wet and wet spring, well, lately it's been dry and dry. So keep, your, keep watering. I'll I went out on Wednesday after I got back from my uh, appointment and uh, walk and talk in Columbia. And I was just messing around. I wondered how, you know, I could tell there are certain areas where how dry the soil was. But I thought, I'm going to try it over here. And I have a, a weeder tool, which is kind of like a really ex long, extended screwdriver that you drive into the ground, you pop the plants up. I, I mean, I'm not weak, but I'm not super strong. I'm not like Brian Kelly, who's, you know, weightlifter and all that other stuff. But anyway, I could barely push this weeder into the soil. It was so dry. So, of course, then I got the watering going. And today after I get back from um, Waterloo, I'm going to be watering again. So anyway, the tour to my yard, east to west. The alley beds, I have cone flowers, which I probably have planted the original ones, maybe only two or three, uh, maybe 10 years, maybe not quite 10 years, but close to it. And uh, they're probably four feet high now. And there's probably maybe 200 flowers in bloom right at this moment. And it's a striking pose. And also what I did put in there at that time for a different sort of texture-wise and different just look in general and fragrance, lemon verbena. Lemon verbena has gotten a little bit more aggressive than what I preferred with uh, invasiveness. So I'm going to start taking some of that out. Also in the bed, there is some sedum gold moss. And it weaves in and out and all around all the other things. There's also two beds along the alley that I have the gold moss in there and some sweet alyssum. Next, going west along the street, there was an area street-wise street between the street and the sidewalk that was zoysia. And the zoysia was never successful there. So I'm converting it 
one step at a time with sedums, sweet alyssums, uh, yellow money wart. Some people call that uh, something yellow creeping jenny or something like that. That just creeps me out, so I don't say creeping jenny. But anyway, in my backyard, lawn looks pretty darn good. I have pots on the hardscapes in my backyard. The plantings inclu- include moss rose, verbenas, moonflowers, elephant ears, cannas of three different varieties, herbs, castor beans. By the back door, I have three different varieties of calla lilies and some dahlias and some purple heart, Tratus cantia, and spider plants. I like, personally, I like flowers. They're great. You know, I can look at flowers when I walk around or wherever it happens to be, but I'm really into different textures and colors of the foliage. And a lot of times what I do with containers and pots, I use tropical plants versus annuals because the tropical plants have a lot of uh, colorful foliage type things. So my dahlias and uh, I have a lot of gazing balls floating around in my landscape as well. Mugo pine, sedum gold moss underneath it, and a purple coral bells, two different varieties of hostas. Then I have two big pots of my Aunt Cleo's kaffir lilies. When I first moved back to St. Louis from California, Back in 77, she had this kaffir lily, and she did. She said, well, would you like it? I said, sure. So here it is since 77. How many years is that? So many years I can't even think. But anyway, I got more kaffir lilies, and I've given so many away through the years. Uh, window boxes, I have the purple heart and you know the spider plants as well. Near the front door, a dwarf cypress. And then I have pots all over the place that also repeat very, you know the things that I've mentioned also. And uh, I like Rex begonias. Why? Because my middle name is Rex. So I thought, why not have Rex begonias if you're Rex Michael Rex? So that's what I do. A couple of boxwoods, uh, Labani cypress tree. I have three sugar maples which wrap around the corner of the street. And I have gold moss underneath them and sweet alyssum as well as a ground cover. Front yard lawn looks pretty good. Small patio there where I have elephant ears and cannas as well. And uh, an interesting, a couple of probably maybe two weeks ago or so, I went out and I thought, what is this? And uh, let's see, probably like three weeks ago, I talked about a little neighborhood kind of wedge garden space where they had a lot of small stones that were painted. And I mentioned that as during my good gardening stroll. In some way, one of those stones, not necessarily specifically from there, has ended up on my front porch. So I have this little tiny stone that's probably two inches across been hand-painted, and then it has a little crystal on the corner of it. It's like, I don't know who gave it to me or whatever, but I certainly thank you for thinking of me and uh, bringing that over to my house. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. Yes, folks, to the phones we go. And if you do have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We're headed to Kirkwood for our first call and into Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Hey, uh, Mike. I have a question for you that you may not have been asked before. Every year I have two hummingbird feeders that go outside of my window in my kitchen, and I will tell you this year, uh, with them all cleaned up and the right amount of sugar water in them, I have not seen one hummingbird. Uh, do you? Uh, what's going on with the hummingbirds? I don't know. They must have changed their route. 
you know, if historically you've had the hummingbirds, obviously you wouldn't be putting the feeders out. But Brian Kelly's had a lot. I've seen a few in our neighborhood. Why you're not getting them right there, you know, who knows what it is. The wind, the directions, you know, there's just not, there's no way to know. Isn't that something? Boy, I'll tell you, those, those are quite a specimen. And uh, I really enjoy watching them. And But, uh, boy, I've not seen one yet this year. Yeah. What you, might, what you might do is go online and look at the Audubon Society and see if there's, you know, an area in this region that has had, you know, a shift in the, where the hummingbirds are going or anything else. Because you know they're migratory, so they only come through, and then they, you know, then they're gone again, and then they come back through this direction. So, if you haven't had them yet, I don't know if Brian's still having them or not right now, but uh, I've I've seen them uh, not a whole lot, but uh, you know we don't get them all that much in South City, but uh, get a few, and I haven't seen any probably in maybe one to two weeks now. Isn't that something? Yeah, that's well, really kind of amazing. Th- th- thanks for the advice. I always enjoy listening to you. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Let's head now over to Greg's yard. Hi, Greg. Hello, Greg. Greg, are you there? No. So let's go to, let's skip Greg and go to Arlene. Hi. Hi, Hi. Mike. Uh, I have two questions. Uh, Do you hear me? Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, okay. My first question is poinsettia. Uh, I want to have it bloom next year. It's losing, it's lost most of all its its red uh, uh, leaves, but I'm getting a lot of green leaves. Now, what do I do to uh, save it for Christmas? Basically, you want to just grow it like a normal type of tropical houseplant, you know, annual or whatever. So, you know, fertilize it, take care of it, do everything. And then when September rolls around, then that's when you're going to start altering it. You're going to bring it inside, give it 12 hours of dark, 12 hours of, you know, light, and that, that sort of thing. Oh, well, that, that's easy to do. My second thing is the other, I think it was last week, you talked about propagating uh, hydrangeas. And I've been successful in doing it this way. I take a lower branch, you know, one that's uh, close to the ground, sure. and I dig the ground a little bit to make it loose, and I lay the uh, the stem into that dug up uh, dirt right. and put dirt on top of it. Then I put a brick on top of that to hold it down. Right. And you know I've been successful in getting uh, uh, little plants with uh, with uh, uh, the uh, you know roots. That works very well, and it's, uh, I mean, that technique is, I forget exactly what it's called, but you can do it with a lot of various types of shrubs, so you, uh-huh. it's great that you've done it and you've had great success with it. Yes. Well, that's right, because those people, whoever called in, didn't know what to do. Right. Uh-huh. All right, Mike, thank you. Certainly. And now let's go to Fred, and Fred lives in Maryland Heights. Hi, Fred. Hi, good morning. How are you? Very good. Uh, I had you out uh, several years ago on a hillside uh, or a slope in my backyard uh, that you helped uh, with a walk and talk and and some uh, different plants. Last year I had a uh, China boy or China girl holly that died on the hill, and this year uh, I have a... uh, um, a knockout rose that is doing the same thing, and they're the only plants on the hill that are uh, are affected. Do you have any thoughts or ideas on that? My guess is probably that particular spot where those two particular you know shrubs are or were or whatever. Uh, 
all this really wet, wet springtime we had, water collected around it and probably drowned the root systems. Okay, okay. So yeah, if you if you like pull those thing. if you pull those out and put new ones back in there, just make sure that you plant where the top twenty percent of the root ball is higher than the surrounding ground. Okay, yeah, because everything else is doing fine, and I really love it. So, uh, all right, we'll try that, and we certainly appreciate your program. Well, thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate it. And now let's go to how about let's go to Steelville. Hi, Steelville. <laughs> Hi. Good gardening. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I've got a Carl Bark Japanese maple tree. Mm-hmm. Yes. Started, leaves started coming out about a half an inch, and now they're all dead. That's not a good sign. So, again, probably how old was it? How old's the plant? How long has it been in the ground? Well, it's been there probably four or five years. Yeah. My guess is, again, this springtime rain has really done some damage to, you know, well-established plant materials. So that's what happened. It just didn't, you know, pushed out. The buds were set, like last fall, pushed out this spring, and then the thing just, the root system got drowned. And the coral bark, you know, the coral bark variety is not exactly a great variety for this region as far as hardiness goes anyway. So I might as well dig it up and throw it away then, right? Pretty much. I mean, you could leave it, you know, and see what happens next year if you want to. But if it's not having, if it doesn't have any foliage at all that has come out, what happens is nutrients and, you know, water come up from the root system, go to the leaves, which uses sun, whether in the shade or in the sun, and makes chlorophyll, which is food. And when there's no food being produced, then that's going to impact you know, anything that's still viable underneath the ground that might still be alive. So it's going to be a roll of the dice if there's any kind of life left in it at all. I've got some knockout roses. They're turning brown on me. Is there anything to do with that? Uh, just turning brown all over or turning brown just certain stems? Uh, just all over. Ooh. Again, that doesn't sound good. You know, if they're, t- I mean, they should be vigorous. They should be doing well. Yes, we had a lot of rain. They, you know, if they were planted correctly, which it sounds like you, you know what you're doing, and you probably did that. But uh, yeah, if they're brown all over in the foliage, and that's uh, not a good sign either for those. Okay. Sorry. Thank you. Yep. And now let's go to Debbie in Florissant. Hi, Debbie. Hi, um, I have a Kwanzaa cherry tree, and we just noticed about uh, there's two branches, there's little branches sticking out, and these really thick webs, just real tight, and there's, they're just really different than any kind of, I guess it's a spider web. Any thoughts on that? Uh, it might be, you know, some kind of caterpillar. Look at it really closely, but just go out there and basically take a stick or whatever, take your hand and just pull the webbing off. Oh, well, the branches where it's surrounded um, are, are dying. They're almost dead, so should we just cut the whole thing off? And Well, it's the branches, you know, generally that's, you know, that's not what, this is probably, a, you know, a webworm, so uh, you could cut it off if you want to. If you're going to cut it off, I don't know how long it is. If it's a long, cut it off in, you know, th- one-third sections at a time, making the final cut, leaving a stub of about a quarter to a half inch only wherever it's connected. 
And then should we spray anything? Will that take care of it? Preventative spraying does not help with the insects, no. It does not, okay. You can get a systemic insecticide, but depending upon how big this tree is, it could take a long time before systemic insecticide, which you put basically on the ground, watered in, and then comes up through the root system and goes out over the branches and would kill insects that way. But it's, you know, that's a long, involved process. Oh, thank you for your help. Okay, great. Yeah, these fall webworms and other kind of webworms, you know, this is the time of year where they're going to start showing up. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. News Radio 1120, KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. Yes, folks, we're jumping the river over to Swansea and going into Brenda's yard. Hi, Brenda. Hi, Mike. Happy Father's Day, kid. Well, thanks. Okay, um, I have some portulaca, which is so easy to grow, and I've had it for years. But this year when I planted it, uh, in a in a dry spot, uh, I get I got all the green, but I get no fl- hardly any flowers in the spot, and I've even got some in a pot, and there's not one flower in there. What what's wrong this year? I don't know what's going on, but I have portulaca too, and mine was flowering when I got it, and uh, I do have some that self seed and actually come back on their own, they're still not flowering. And the ones that I got at the nursery, you know, this earlier this spring, like I said, initially were flowering, but they haven't reflowered yet. So I'm not exactly sure what's happening with them. I've fertilized. I've done everything according to what that guy on, you know, KMOX Garden Hotline says. And uh, I'm not having any luck with it. So I don't know what's going on. So my only, you know, my only guess is just patience as much as anything. Because the well, I, mean, looks, I planted these in the in early spring. Yeah. I mean, they've been in the ground a long time. Right. I mean, the foliage looks good. I'm assuming because mine looks really great. They look really bushy. Mine does and too. And so I don't know what's going on. Well, now I know they don't. They like dry soil. Do you think watering in them them more would make a difference? Well, I you know I water mine. I have them in pots and stuff, and it's like I said, I'm not getting any flowers on them. I got them in two different pots. And the location's kind of in close proximity, but not next, you know, not next to each other. And uh, so I don't know. It's just going to have to be a matter of patience, I think. No. Well, okay, then I'll have to do that. Be patient. Thank <laughs> exactly. you so much. Right. Sorry. Yeah, it's just uh, I can't figure it out either. Tracy came out, you know, a couple weeks ago and said, wow, look, you know, she was looking at the porch a lot because she doesn't know the botanical names or anything. But uh, she said, those red flowers really look great. And I said, yeah, they really look nice. Then once those flowers finish, we haven't had any more flowers at all. Let's go to Greg, and Greg lives in the city of St. Louis. Hi, Greg. Good morning. How are you? Very good. I'm having trouble with my rose bushes, and what the problem is, I mean, they were blooming just fine. All of a sudden, like all the blooms died off, and like the leaves just have the petals just have holes all through them. Could wasps be doing that? Because I noticed there are a lot of wasps around the rosebush plant generally it's not my guess is probably a fungal type disease so like anthracnose or something along that line which impacts lots of different things but roses is one of the things that impacts so the holes are just a result of like the the fungus right there kind of burning a hole in but uh roses flush you know and so consequently cut off all the spent blooms do some fertilizing with rose food and just wait for a couple weeks and they should be reblooming. 
So thanks, Greg, and good luck with that. And now let's go to Murfreesboro and into Gene's yard. Hi, Gene. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Uh, I'm going to make your first caller a little upset. Uh, I have about 40 Hummers <laughs> in, my, in my yard. Uh, I feel for him. Boy, it's, it's one of my lots of One quick question. Sure. I'm. Uh, this is the first year I've ever had coleus. Do you recommend pinching the flowers off so they spread out more? And the same thing with hosta. Do you recommend cutting the flowers off of hosta? Hosta doesn't matter because, I mean, they're tough, they're perennial. But with the coleus, definitely don't let them go to flower because then they're going to start losing all the lower leaves. Also, you know, pinch them back just besides taking the flowers off to make them thicker and denser and bushier. And the coleus generally do not like to be in full sun. They want to be in part, you know, part sun, right. part, you know. So as long as you got them in that, they... They really root. I mean, they do grow well in water, so don't let them go through any kind of drought stress whatsoever. Thank you much, sir. Yeah, my pleasure. And also, could you send some of your hummingbirds over to the guy in Kirkwood? He's the one that doesn't have any hummingbirds. Uh, could 10 of you go to Kirkwood from Murfreesboro? Uh, let's see. Where should we go now? Let's go to Tom's yard, and he lives in St. Louis. Hi, Tom. Hey, Mike. Hey, I have a question about watering my tropical hibiscus. I have a row of nine at the edge of my yard that drops off to an 18-inch retaining wall. So I'm assuming there's good drainage. And they're flowering prolifically, good green growth. But uh, I have some yellow leaves at the bottom and inside some of the plants. Uh, I water them all the same. I'm wondering, you know, what I've read is they can turn yellow from too much water or underwatering. And I wanted some ideas. They're in full sun. Uh, They basically look great. But are some yellow leaves normal? Yeah. Basically, regardless of if even if you're watering correctly, you're fertilizing and doing everything, those are just older leaves, and the hibiscus is going, you're not really helping me, and blah, 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 and so it drops them, turns them yellow. So this is just a natural occurrence. Uh, how much would you recommend watering them in the summer? Should they get daily water? Uh, no, you don't need to water them that much, but uh, just make sure that uh, they don't, you know, and let me put it this way. If you look out and you see them wilted and it's the heat of the day, don't water them right then. Wait until the next morning and see if they're wilted in the next morning. If they're wilted in the morning, that means they definitely need water. If they're wilted only during the day and then they perk back up, you know, overnight or in the morning, then they don't. But, uh, you know, they do need, uh, you know, water, but uh, you don't have to overwater them. Every day would be a lot, but uh, probably every two or three days, and just give them a good soaking. Are they still in pots or are they in the ground? No, they've been in the ground for about a month. Okay. And like I said, overall they look great, but I get some yellow leaves inside. Yeah, that's just a natural occurrence. There's nothing you okay. can do about that. All right, great. Thanks a lot. Certainly, my pleasure. And now let's go to Glenn's Yard in Columbia, Illinois. Hi, Glenn. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate your show. I'm taking down a great bit professionally, having it taken down a big gumball tree. Ooh. And I've got two, I guess, two or two and a half questions about that hole. I'm going to have it ground. Um, how close can I plant the replacement tree? What type of a tree would you recommend? What you know, what species grows fast? I'm I'm an old guy, so I don't want to sit there for 50 years and wait for it. And uh, uh, should I fill that hole with topsoil? Should I fill it with compost, or should I just let it settle? Basically, the stump grindings, that area, probably within, I don't know how large this sweet gum tree was, but uh, 
if you go out maybe probably 10 feet, you sh- might be able to plant something. But anything any closer, it's basically solid wood underneath the ground. So I wouldn't plant it try to get anything established. And if okay. you want if you, and you want a shade tree that's fast growing? Yes, sir. And uh, probably the fastest growing shade type tree, which is a little bit problematic in its own right, would be the river birch. And because I'm saying problematic in the fact that, you know, when it starts getting hot in the summertime, they start dropping leaves. But that's going to be probably the fastest growing, you know, shade tree that is available. There is another maple, the silver maple, not the red maples or anything else, is also fast growing. But I don't on it. I'm not even sure if the silver maple is available from a retail standpoint. I see. Okay, and, and the hole should I fill that with topsoil or, or just uh, let it settle? And I would probably just leave it alone. Maybe put a bird bath on it or something or a rock or whatever it happens to be, because it's going to take a long, long, long time for that whole thing for the sort of the wood qualities to implode. So putting oh. soil on top of it's not going to make any difference. Okay. Should we leave the the uh, uh, stump grindings in the hole until they settle or take it out? I would probably just take them out, and that's just strictly a cosmetic type thing. So okay. you don't have to do that, but it's if you don't, then you're always going to go out there and stare at them, and that way okay. save you the trouble right. of staring. We'll dispose of the grindings. Then. Okay. Right. Thank you very, 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 very much for yeah. your help. And don't use those grindings as mulch on, mulch on anything because that's fresh wood. It binds up moisture. It binds up nutrients. And causes major problems. That's why you can't just take stump, you know, let's say chippers, you know, from trees that have been taken off power lines and stuff like that. You can't use that debris as mulch either. So don't use this as mulch. Just get rid of it. You can put it in a compost pile and let it compost, but not just uh, spread it around. And now let's see, get one more call before we take a break. And let's go to Steve's yard, and he lives in Collinsville. Hi, Steve. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Quick question for you. I have a beard's tongue in my yard, and I really like it. It's past its flowering time, and uh, I was just wondering, do I, can I, do I leave the blossoms, do I leave it intact? Can I cut the blossom part off, the stem part to the blossom? What would be the best to do, just leave it or cut them off? It doesn't really matter because they're perennial, they're pretty tough. But probably from an aesthetic standpoint, I'd just go ahead and cut the flower, you know, stem off. Mike? Yes. Uh, I didn't hear you. Oh. I would say since they're a perennial plant, you don't need to worry about it. You can cut the flowers off, you know, the flower stem off. That's what I would do just from an aesthetic standpoint so you don't have to see that stem just sort of sticking out. So, you know, that would be my recommendation. Wonderful. I will do that. Thank you very much. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Head to High Ridge and go into David's yard. Hi, David. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I have a couple questions about... uh, I got some banana trees mm-hmm. in the ground, and I'm I need to get rid of some Japanese beetles. They're eating the tops of the leaves. What what could I put on them? Basically, Japanese beetle. I mean, they're they're kind of tough. You're probably better off if you only see a few of them, just to pick them off and put them, you know, drown them in like a soapy water type thing. If you want to try to spray them, 
realize the insecticides have to hit the beetles directly. And if to spray as a preventative type thing, that's not going to make any difference at all. So if you don't see the beetle and squirt the insecticide on it right then, then you've just kind of wasted your time. So in other words, picking them off, like that would be my recommendation because there can't be a huge amount, I wouldn't think. No, no, there's not. Yeah. So I would recommend that. If you want to use an insecticide, I'd use insecticidal soap and just, you know, trigger spray right in their face. I got you. Okay. I got one more question about majestic palms. They're, they're in pots. And what would be a – should I fertilize them and how much should I water them? Uh, keep them pretty well watered because they're in pots. You know, water them so obviously they got drainage holes so it's going to run out. Yes. And yes. – uh just wait, you know, probably when the potting mix starts to shrink a little bit from the inside of the pot away from the, you know, the actual pot, then water mm-hmm. them. And hopefully you don't have them in the full sun because they will sunburn. They will sunburn. Yeah. Okay. And no no fertilization on no, it? No, you can I mean, fertilize them uh, probably, you know, during this active growing season, fertilize them virtually monthly all the way up until September. Uh, what would you suggest on fertilizing? Uh, it doesn't really matter. 13, Just yeah, twelve Miracle Grow, like you know, twelve four eight, something along that line. Okay, all right, perfect. Good luck. That's all I got. All right, perfect. And now let's go to Collinsville, and that's where Gail lives. Hi, Gail. Hi, Mike. How Hi. are you today? Very good. Happy Father's Day to you. Thank you. Uh huh. Um, I have a comment and a question. Um, I heard you say earlier when you uh, get stump ground out and right. all the trimmings not to use it as mulch, but I did in my woodland garden, and it hasn't affected anything out there. They're mostly hostas, but um, so far, so good. That was last year in, uh, I forget when. Well, I'm not, it's just not <clears throat> recommended to do. So you were lucky. Right. The hostas are very tough. But what it does is it binds up nutrients and stuff. And hosta don't, I mean, they're, like I say, they're tough. They don't need a whole lot of nutrients. I see. I see. Okay. Well, I'm probably lucky, yeah, having it around the hosta then. Right. Okay. Now my question. Um, last year in April, uh, we had a main borderline uh, spring leak, uh, which, of course, I found out when I got my bill, which was triple. <laughs> and um, they had to dig a trench you know, from the house out to the meter and change it. And um, I have uh, three river birch trees, which I heard you mention this morning. Um, And they're three individual trees, but we planted them in one hole so they would each have their own root system. Mm -hmm. And um, the water line trench was about six feet away from the one side of the base of the trunk on that side. And the width of the three trees now have grown together. They're about three feet, maybe a little more. So the rest of last year, the leaves and everything looked fine. And they had sprouted out this spring. And I'd say now I can tell there's maybe 10% of the limbs throughout the trees, all three of them, don't have any leaves. And they're not as plentiful on the tree limbs as they normally had been, which I can kind of expect it's under a little bit of stress after going through that, having some roots ripped off and stuff that close. 
but I just wanted to get your best educated guess about the life of the tree now. I think the trees are fine. It's just, it's not only the trench and everything else tearing up the root system, but also whatever kind of equipment, whatever kind of people, you know, compacting the soil. So there's been a lot of different things that have impacted these, this tree or these trees. So yeah. it's more physical than anything. So you're just going to have to let them stabilize. Maybe during the wintertime, do something called deep root feeding, where you go oh. out a couple feet from the uh, tree trunks. You auger right. holes with an electric drill, backfill those six-inch deep holes. We did holes. that around some willow oak trees so, yeah. so just, they needed some iron. Right. Just do so. that again with around these guys, and it'll help loosen the soil and help, you know, Get re, you know, reduce the compaction and also add some organic matter down into the holes. Okay, what would you suggest putting in there? Compost. Oh, compost. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, okay, we can do that. Uh, any certain time during the winter? Uh, basically, the any time uh, after the foliage has fallen. So let's say November through uh, the Ides of March. Oh, okay, that sounds good. Okay, thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Certainly, my pleasure. Yes, and folks, uh, we won't get a chance to get another call in before we go to the news. But uh, just, I'm going to reemphasize this. It's been very, very, very dry. So even, you know, I have a lot of sedum acreage or gold moss, whatever you want to call it. And when it gets really dry, even though sedum is supposed to be able to handle really dry, it discolors. It really loses its green. And as soon as I water, then it's going to get the green back. So it's just a question of, you know, other plant material is going to stress out a lot more than what some types of sedum are going to do as well. And when I was walking the other day, I was I was surprised at seeing how many sort of those aggressive weeds that show up in lawns and park areas and stuff like that. Even they were wilted down. So it is very dry out there. Mike Miller, KMRS Garden Hotline. I will see you after the news. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, I say welcome as well to the Garden Hotline Tip of the Trial Hour, which I'll be giving shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And Mr. Kelly, Yo. it's really warm out there, but you're yes. wearing very dark colors. Oh, I got dressed in the dark. <laughs> so you can't see. No, what was it, four in the morning? The I don't care. I, I oh. Just find something. Just put it on. And I, oh, I'm wearing black on black. Right. Blue on, well, this is dark blue. Oh. And navy. And that's that's kind of grayish. As soon as you step outside, so, you're going to yeah. be sweating. Yeah, exactly. Well, in the newsroom, I go. I got to get my coat because it's oh, cold in the right. newsroom. Yeah. Right. So They keep you guys chilled. They do. It, it slows the aging process. I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I was just concerned that it's so hot and you're wearing dark colors. That just doesn't Oh, I'll sense. change when I get outside. Okay. Yeah. Good. <laughs> thanks yes, for folks. your concern. <laughs> folks, and by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We're here to discuss plant selections, caring for, ups and downs, and all arounds related to the annuals, to your bulbs, to the edibles, to the ground covers, to the house plants, lawns, roses, perennials, trees, shrubs, vines, and water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember... My answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Across the big board is James. He's producing today, and so when you call, 
Just give him your first name and where you're calling from. That's all he needs to know. And during the week I spend, and weekends, I spend my time where I do a walk and talk. I come to your home. We look at aesthetic problems. We look at problem solving for plant materials and everything else. And uh, today, after the show, I'm headed to Belleville and then over to uh, or down to Waterloo. So spending my after early afternoon, late morning in Illinois. And you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage. That's where my email and phone number are listed. And if you go to the homepage, other pages there, hmm, I'm not keeping up with it very well. Oh, well. Anyway, you can contact me. We'll share, and I'll come to your home and share 40 years of experience. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me. And it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. One of Tracy and my favorite places to go is the Butterfly House, which is out in Faust Park. The Sophia M. Sachs Butterfly House will reopen June 16th. We're past the 16th, so it's already reopened. And it will start... Basically, you got to make an appointment. It's going to be guided tours only. So you can't wander around and just kind of have fun like we usually do. So we haven't really gotten to the point where we're making appointments, but we we love to go to the zoo. We like to go to the museums. We like the butterfly houses and all that other stuff. But it just, you know, it makes it a little bit confusing as far as making the reservations and everything. They're required. You have to wear the mask and everything else, which is fine. But uh, we just haven't gotten around to starting to do that yet. So we're kind of on the sidelines. So uh, the masks are required for anybody that's over nine years old. And really, they're recommended for any children that are three to nine. So they're required at one point, but recommended earlier than, or younger than that. So for more information on the opening of the Butterfly House and making your appointments so you can go and wander around, you can go to butterflyhouse.org. And Butterfly House is actually part of the Missouri Botanical Garden. So you can probably go through that way as well. So if you do have questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head out to Oakville and go into Ken's yard. Hi, Ken. Yeah, uh, yes, sir. I get a a limelight hydrangea tree. Mm -hmm. I planted it about two months ago. It's about four foot high. Got shoots coming out of it. Real pretty. Uh, I got a couple of leaves with holes in it, like four of them, and like three more of them are curled up. What, what do you think? Is to spray with seven or something, or what do you think? Well, you can spray with seven, but again, that's a contact killer. So if you're not spraying it directly onto the insect, you're just spraying for the sake of spraying. So probably the leaves that are curled, I'd unroll them. And look, and anybody, if you're going to start spraying with, let's say, the idea that you probably have insects. Um, on the uh, always spray the underside of the leaf as opposed to the top of the leaf, and also go out and check your plant materials early in the morning or later in the day for basically insects to find out exactly what's going on. Uh, should I take a few of those leaves, or just take this, snip them off, snip them off, or? Yeah, you could. I mean, it's if if it's only a few, if it's a lot, definitely don't because a few holes is not going to make that much difference. The holes are not what's. I mean. That's not what's going to cause a real problem if there's a few holes. Those leaves are still going to be functional as far as using sunlight to make chlorophyll food to, you know, to help your plant get established. Okay. Well, thank you, sir. Certainly. My pleasure. And now let's go over to Carlisle and into Joe's yard. Hi, Joe. Yes. Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning. Thanks for, your, thanks for your show and thanks for your service to our great country. 
Uh, Mike, my question this morning is, I've got an ash tree, and I had a tree service come out to take down a tree that died in our yard, and uh, he trimmed this tree. We had some dead branches. It's a real uh, a nice tree in our yard, and we hate to lose it. However, uh, he did tell me it's got the emerald ash borer. Uh, I did get a product that he recommended from uh, one of the big box stores. Bear makes it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we treated it with that, but uh, he said if it doesn't come out of it, well, that tree's probably going to die. It's still got a chance, but I just thought we'd give you a call and see if you had any uh, advice or recommendations. So you, you're using a systemic, so in other words, it's going up through the root system. Because the emerald ash borers, they basically attack the top of the tree where the classic borers you know, go in the lower part of the trunk. So he must have been high in the tree to know there was emerald ash borers there. Uh, well, actually, some of the boreholes that we saw were actually about four feet up the trunk. It's not a real big tree, uh, yeah. so maybe about uh, 20 feet. So uh, That's not emerald ash borers. That's that okay. low. They're always they're near the top of the trees. So that's a borer, right. I mean, or it could be sap suckers. Are the holes like about an you know, eighth to a quarter inch in a row, horizontal row? Uh, no, they were ran- random, okay. and we did see some up high, and he trimmed out the dead branches for okay. us, you know, got all rid of the dead. Well, but, he's uh, there yes, and we- he saw it, but just generally the emerald ash borer damage is going to be at the top of the tree, not lower down on the trunk. Yeah, the damage, I would say, Mike, you're correct on that, uh, is up high, the branches he took out. Right. But I was just going by, we did see one hole there low on the, well, one or two holes lower on the trunk, probably okay. by between four and five feet. So, yeah. uh, uh, so did, if you, we if just you, stick like a tool down in the hole, uh, like, a, like a scribe, and they go in about, what I could feel about, oh, a couple, about an inch or two. Generally, they so, don't go uh, in that far. They usually... I mean, the boars are going to try to stay where the veins are. So they go in, but they kind of run just below the bark and the xylem and phloem, the veins. But anyway, so this guy's there. He saw it. You, you've you already done this uh, systemic. But probably, depending upon what type of systemic you use for the emerald borer control, read the package, read the label, and see if this is something that needs to be reapplied every year. Uh, that's correct. It says every 12 months. On okay, it. Yep. great. So you're you're up to snuff. That's about all we can do for it then, Mike, is right. what you're saying? Pretty much. Okay. Well, hey, Mike, thanks again. Sure. Appreciate it. And Bye. now let's go. Let's try to get another call in before we need to do a break. Uh, Tom and O'Fallon, how are you? Thanks for uh, for your help here. I've got a hostas I want to move to the west side of my house. And uh, I got a tree there, but I'm only going gonna to get sunlight maybe uh, – two hours at the most, but it'd be afternoon sun, possibly one thirty to 2.30. You think they'll do all right there? Uh, are they variegated? So in other words, do they have white stripes or anything in them? Some of them do, some of them don't. I uh, I wanted to put an Empress Wu there because of its size. Right. You think it'll work? Uh, yeah, just, you know, the variegated ones could sunburn just even in a, that short a period of time of that direct sun, you know, in the yeah. heat of the day. So just, you have right. to be really, you know, I mean, conscious and careful. Okay. But you think the Empress Wu will do good there? Yes. And a sum and substance, it should have no problem there either, right? No, it shouldn't have any. Okay, you know, great. And any of, them, you know, any of them with the bigger, you know, sort of the gray-blue leaves should be fine yeah. like Big Daddy and all those guys. Okay, okay, great. Well, thanks for your help. You have a good day. Yes.
Yeah, some in substance, for people that don't know that variety of Haas, is one that kind of has a, a yellowish cast to it. So anyway, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. St. Louis's weather station, KMOX. Speaking of weather, folks, it's too dry. Get those irrigation systems going. And if you have an automatic irrigation system, don't run it every morning for 15 minutes. That water will not penetrate deep enough into the ground to do any good at all. So water for like 45 minutes twice a week rather than every every day for 15 minutes. That's a waste of time. All that water does is evaporate and go up in the air. So don't water that way. Let's head out to St. Charles and go into Karen's yard. Hi, Karen. Good morning. Um, I have a question about our hibiscus. Uh, The plant right now is in a pot that's about 14 inches in diameter, 12 inches deep. It is full but kind of crowded. So should I go with a bigger pot and need to find out? And when is it good to transfer it now or should I wait till the season is pretty much over? Is this a tropical one that you have to bring inside in the wintertime? Yes. Okay. So I would say just leave it alone. You don't need to put it in a bigger pot or anything else. The size is pretty darn adequate. Maybe in a couple years you might want to put it in a bigger pot, but for the most part, my recommendation would be in you know that type of circumstance would be every few years just pull the plant out of the you know out of the pot. Maybe do some root pruning on it. You know, basically do that like in April, right before you bring it outside. And are right after you bring it outside, and then just you know keep it in that same size pot. Oh, okay, good enough. Thanks for your help. Sure. Yeah, p- putting things in bigger pots is just be- it creates a nightmare from the standpoint of weight and everything else. And a lot of times it doesn't help. If you decide you want to put it in a bigger pot for whatever reason, only get a pot that's about one inch bigger than you know in diameter than the one that's currently in. Let's go to Mike's yard in South County. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. How are you? Very good. Good. I'm following up on a question uh, previously regarding having the tree taken down. Uh-huh. We we had a uh, about a 35 to 40 foot pin oak taken down in October of last year from our front yard. They ground the stump, and he threw topsoil on it and some grass seed, and I think he actually left some of the wood chips in there. Grass came up a little bit, needless to say. Uh, there's nothing there now. Right. I was going to leave it sit until either the fall of this year or spring of next year, maybe dig it out, put more topsoil, and then some sod over it. Would that work? <laughs> For probably two years, and then this, it'll just disappear again. So it's just okay. you, growing You know anything on a t- where a tree was, is virtually a waste of time and a waste of energy. Now, of course, the sod farms and everybody else are seed producers, and they love it because it, you're just going to have to keep doing it. But it's not going to work. Sure. So I got a big circle in my front yard. Right. What do you suggest? Uh, you could try ground covers if you want to. I would say just don't look at it, and that way it won't bother you. But, uh, no, I'm just being a little bit facetious. But in, in reality, there's not too much you can do. Okay. I mean, until this thing, until the wood starts dying and the root systems, even though the stump's been ground out, the root systems obviously move laterally. They could stay viable, you know, each year a little bit less and less and less 
for multiple years, three to five years after the tree's been cut down and the stumps ground out. So you're going to have you know okay. problems in other places as well, other than right where the tree trunk was. Right. Okay. I appreciate the uh, input. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's you know. I wish I, if I could come up with something for this this type of circumstance, I wouldn't have to do this show again ever. I could just be a billionaire and so. <laughs> Of course, I, there is one thing you could do: astroturf. <laughs> cut down on the grass cutting, also. Exactly. <laughs> All right, thank you. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go out to Baldwin and into Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, I we had a question we put in. I'm not going to pronounce it right. Uh, a wonderfully flowering uh, perennial coropus. Cor- is that right? Coriopsis? Coriopsis, yes, sir. Right. The Coriopsis uptick, uptick gold is just really prolific bloomer. But my, I think part of my question was asked by, answered by the lady earlier. So far, we have not. The flowers last forever. And one of the questions was going to be about deadheading it. But as you know, they have a long stem. Right. Uh, and I think earlier you mentioned if you want to take the, you know, cut it back, cut the stem back, correct? Right. Okay. Well, I mean, they're, they're just doing wonderful. We put about six of them in, and they're, I mean, they're prolific flowers and last long. But my main question is, and I'm way ahead of schedule, is um, after the foliage dies back, or at what point, and what do we do in the fall? Cut them down to the ground or whatever? You can cut them to the ground. That's an aesthetic call. You don't have to do that because they're going to die and break off anyway. You're going to have to get rid of them probably just, again, from an aesthetic you know, call when the new growth begins the following spring. But uh, you don't really have to do too much to them at all. They pretty much take care of themselves. Really? Well, that's good. So you're saying that even when a new growth uh, appears in the spring, I don't have to remove the old growth? or Well, it's you don't have to. Generally, people do because they don't want to look at it. Right, right. So, what is the best? Wait till spring, or, or can I? I, you know, I don't want. To, I want to. Although they're they're pretty hardy, apparently. Yeah. I would say probably do it in late fall, around Thanksgiving or something, when you're out there raking your yard and everything else. Just cut it off at that time. That way, you want to fool around with doing it in the springtime. Okay, and at ground level or an inch? Leave probably, an inch remaining. Yeah, I'd probably leave an inch. Okay, sir. And then one other real quick question. We're fertilizing all the stuff, lantana and all that, once a week. Is that too much? Yes. With a liquid fertilizer? Yeah, that's too much. Probably every two weeks would be, you know, ideal. Every three weeks would probably probably be adequate. Oh, okay, Mike. Thank you so much for your show. Sure. My pleasure. And thanks for having me on your show. And now let's go to Sunset Hills and to Phyllis's yard. Hi, Phyllis. Thank you so much for your show. Sure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on your show. And now let's go to Sunset Hills and to Hey, Phyllis. Hi there. Hi. Thank you for your service. <clears throat> my question is about my hydrangea. It has uh, rust dots on the stem. Uh, it got cut back uh, several years ago by accident, and now I have no blooms and no buds. Uh, which, do you know which variety of hydrangea it is? Well, I don't. It's usually kind of a purple-blue when it bloomed. So how old is it? Oh, I'm sure it's maybe 10. It could be the point where it's just, it's not going to flower anymore, even though it's got spots on the stems or anything else. 
those hybrids like that, you know, the blues and the pinks and things along that line, they have a somewhat of a limited life. Not as far as living and producing leaves, but as far as flowering goes. Now, are you fertilizing? Well, I had been, and then I read where it said to uh, put aspirin in a gallon of water and put that out as opposed to chemicals. Well, aspirin's a chemical. That doesn't make any sense. I saw that on <laughs> on the Internet. So That's I, crazy. I tried that. <laughs> so basically, if you want to keep the color good, you want to use aluminum sulfate, which is not a fertilizer, but also I'd get a fertilizer for acid-loving plants. That's what I had been using. Yes. So that's when you're going to have better success. And to keep the colors, you know, the color, that's what the aluminum sulfate is for. Okay. Okay. Now, the leaves are very healthy. Right. They're real green. There's no bugs or holes or anything. Right. So it's just basically a matter of maybe the nutrition, you know, level is down. That's why I'm saying fertilize. And just if they do flower, you want to make sure that you're going to get the color you want. That's why I'm saying use the aluminum sulfate. But it's crucial to use an acid-based fertilizer. So there's all kinds of different companies that make fertilizer for acid-loving plants. You can use it on hollies, boxwood, azaleas, hydrangeas, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I had all of those and a lot of uh, evergreens. Okay, well, thank you very much. I appreciate your service. Certainly. And good luck with that. And Let's take another call and go to St. Charles and go into Linda's yard. Hi, Linda. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I appreciate your calls uh, or taking the calls. Um, I've got a problem with the elephant ears again. What? Um, well, I think I put two little things in a big pot, two little root things, and there's five things coming up, five plants coming up. How do I divide those? Uh, I wouldn't. <laughs> just leave really? them Really? No, just Ooh. leave them Okay. All right, because some are really tiny and some are big, but... Right, so if you start oh. digging and fooling around with them this time of year, they're just coming up and probably have only been growing for maybe a couple weeks. So yeah. at the end of the season, when you dig them up to bring them inside, if that's what you do, then you can take a look at it and you can see where the you know individual bulbs are you know sort of connected together. Then okay. you can divide them. This time of year, just leave them alone, fertilize them, and keep them well watered. Okay. All righty. All right. Well, thank you so much. Certainly. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KMWash Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Get ready for another Cardinals Classic Game, sponsored by Lux Galore International. Tonight, from 1967, it's Game 1 of the World Series between the Cards and Red Sox. Hear it here, Emron Pregame Show at 6, on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. Let's head to South St. Louis and go into Joan's yard. Hi, Joan. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I put down sod this a week ago Thursday. I'm wondering, when is it, are you supposed to eat it. You're kind, of break, you're kind of breaking up. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I put sod down last Thursday. Okay. Fescue, and I'm wondering when it. When do you start to either weed and feed it or fertilize it? Just leave it alone right now. You're trying to get it established. Now, did you work up the soil before you laid the sod down on top of it? 
I till three times. Okay. I put compost down. Okay, perfect. It, so basically it, just go out and every day for the first couple of weeks, you know, for probably two weeks, water it. Then, st- then start watering just every uh, probably every three or four days. And then probably since this is a cool season lawn, you're not going to fertilize it during the summertime at all. And so you're going to fertilize when we hit late August, early September with the, you know, the fall feeding for cool season lawns. As far as weed control, you can do the weed control. Just do spot treatment. Don't just spread, you know, let's say a weed control over it. But I probably wouldn't do that for at least a month or so. Okay. That sounds good. Because right. I thought I heard you say that a couple weeks ago, but my neighbor keeps giving me fertilizer to put on it. And I'm like, I don't think I'm supposed to do that. <laughs> no, don't do it. You'll really you'll kill it, basically. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Sure. And the reason why I ask you that, too, is uh, there's a house close by. I walk every morning, blah, blah, blah. But there's a, cl- a house close to me that laid some sod down, and they didn't do anything to the soil at all. And they just laid the sod on top of it. It's going to be dead in about four or five days. So anyway, enough of that stuff. And let's go now to Redbud, Illinois, and into Rick's yard. Hi, Rick. Yes, hi. Thank you for taking the call. Sure. Uh, I need the advice on our weeping cherry tree. Uh, it's a, I'm going to say about 15 years old. The the base of the trunk is around eight or nine inches. It's wow. really quite a tree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just done wonderful with a huge canopy and I have to keep it constantly trimmed to keep it from <laughs> reaching the ground. Uh, but this year early, about a month ago, I started noticing on the backside of the tree closest to our house, the leaves, uh, were, there was no leaves on some of them. And then now the last month, half of the tree has lost all its leaves that it's, that curled up brown dropped off and only the front half of the tree has uh life in it uh it it sits uh close to our house uh, it gets uh sun from the east and about one o'clock or two o'clock it's in the shade basically the back side of the you know which is next to the house is not getting yes. adequate sunlight so that's why the tree dumps the leaves they're not helping they're not, you know, all they're doing is creating a nightmare problem for the tree in and of itself. And that's why I never recommend okay. planting, you know, any kind of plant, trees or even shrubs, you know, close to houses because they can't get any light back there. There's nothing at all you yeah. can do. Oh, my. Well, you know, for all these years, it's just been a beautiful thing. And right. This, this year is the first time we saw it. Right. And it's an aging uh, thing. It's, you know, the branches as they, yeah. you know, get bigger and wider and everything else. Then there's less and less light on the backside. Okay. Wow. So uh, we need to get the tree out of there. Well, you, either that or if if there's a window right there and you're looking out, you're looking at the sort of the skeletized Charlie Brownish tree. Yes, we are. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So, so we. Yeah. All right. I think you've answered my question. Sure. Thank yeah, you very much. It's unfortunate, but a lot of times people don't realize. You know, foundation plantings and planting things too close to the house, ultimately they're going to have an experience like what you did. Let's head out to Diana, and she lives in St. Charles. Hi, Diana. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm interested in getting a couple of crepe myrtles. What sun exposure do they like the best? They would prefer full sun all day long every day. They can take, you know, part shade, but they're going to do much better in the full sun. I had them at my old house, and they were exquisite. I just can't begin to, to describe how beautiful they were. 
and they got they were facing uh, north. That's, but I wanted I want to get it right this time. Well, that's if they were beautiful and they're facing north. I mean. It's just they need to be as in as much light as they possibly can. So, in other words, they don't want to be underneath. They definitely don't want to be underneath trees because the tree roots compete with them, and that's not a good sign. So, you know, just wherever you can get them and get them in the most sun possible, that's what you want to do. And realize it's going to take a couple years for them to get established and really perform well. Okay. Yeah, they were planted new when I when I bought the house. My Handyman, my hand, contractor put them in. Right, and they were up. They were up against the house, but the house got morning sun. Right, so that was adequate sun. It worked out perfectly. And but I would probably not push them up like I was talking with the gentleman just now. If you get them up too close to the house, crepe myrtle. It doesn't matter because basically, you know, it doesn't matter as much as it does with a let's say a tree, you know a tree. But uh, because they go through their period and they're only doing well in the summertime as far as the aesthetics and everything else. So, again, just as much sun as you possibly can get them. Okay, great. Thank you. Yep. Dig the hole three times the diameter of the root ball, but only about 80% is deep, so the top of the root ball is above the surrounding ground. Let's go out to Chris's yard in Arnold. Hi, Chris. Hi. Um, I planted four daisy bushes last year along the foundation of the house. The plants look great. But now that the flowers are coming up, three of them have like 20 to 30 buds. One of them has six or seven buds. Uh, just, you know, it's kind of like in my family. I had a sister and a brother that had red hair. I have, you know, my color hair. My brother had a different brownish hair. So it's just one of those kind of things, a quirky thing. If the plant looks healthy, then that's about all you can do. You, you know, so why it's not okay. really producing the amount of flowers it may be planted a little bit deeper than the other ones, but uh, for the most part, if it looks healthy, then there's not too much you can do other than that. I'm assuming you're fertilizing. Yes, yes. Okay. And when do I actually cut? If I want to bring them inside, do I wait till it's a full flower or like halfway? Is it? You uh, know? If you do, if you don't, I would probably not wait till it's full, but uh, you know, at least three quarters of the way out. If it's if the bud is still too tight, it may not open up inside. And how far down the stem do I go to cut? Uh, probably don't cut off more than half the stem. Okay. So probably, right. you know, even though you may not be getting, you know, the length of stem that you want, just put them in a smaller vase. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. And now let's go to North County into Steve's yard. Hi, Steve. Hi. How are you doing? I had an idea of cutting some 55-gallon drums, plastic ones, in half and using them as like a planter box. Would would I want, I want to kind of put them on the property line as a uh, privacy-type thing. Is there something that would work in there that wouldn't get no higher than maybe eight or nine-foot tops, and would something work in a 55-gallon plastic drum cut in half? Yeah, 55-gallon plastic drum is fine as long as you drill holes in the bottom of it so there's drainage. Also, before you plant, you want to put about six inches of rock at the bottom. So you're drilling holes, putting rock, and then pretty much, you know, if, if you want to have, you know, something, you could use U's, you could use Arborvitae, you could use several different things. They should do fine in there. A big drum is just like a big plastic nursery pot. It just has to have drainage holes, and you have to have the bottom part of it, you know, with like a couple inches of rock. 
Okay. Do you, you have any idea of, I don't even know what arborvitae is. I'd have to look it up. But, I mean, something that would get up like seven, eight foot tall. Yeah, the arborvitae um, will. I mean, oh, okay. because it's going to basically they get bigger than that. Don't get the green giant because it gets massive. But by having them in a pot, that kind of restricts or bone size them and keeps them from getting as big as they would if they were planted in the ground. Yeah, I had rows of Sharon's in there now, but I've got trees there. And the tree roots are just so bad, they're just busting up my rows of Sharon's where it was just killing them. Right. And uh, so I thought, well, maybe I can use 55-gallon drums and put in there and, you know, just take care of it that way. But I didn't know whether that would work or not. Yeah, well, and just again, just make sure you put drainage, plenty of drainage holes. Right, right, in the bottom and there, because I was even going to maybe have to put something underneath them to kind of level them a little bit, so... It's not going to exactly maybe be sitting right on the ground itself, so it'll still drain that way. But I thought something about sand or gravel in there to help that drain out. So Right. All right. Yeah, well, don't use gravel. Much. Gravel's too small. Use, like, bee rock, which is about two-inch rock. Don't use pea gravel. That's too small. Okay, D rock. Yeah, B. Or B rock. Right. Okay, and just put a couple inches of that in the bottom. Yeah, it's like river rock. It's just tan brown rock. Yeah, Merrimack gravel. Yeah, I got that all around my yard anyway. Okay, and, great. And my other flower thing. So, all right, well, thank you very much. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Down to Oakville and to Linda's yard. Hi, Linda. Hi, Mike. Good Hi. morning. Um, last fall, really late last fall, I think it was like maybe the first week of November, our church had a whole um, garden that we planted of shrubs and trees, and we're having a problem with the tall Taylor junipers. We did about six of those, and probably half of them have brown or some brown at the top. So I'm having really trouble getting hold of the, you know, the nursery. I did talk to a person at the nursery, and she said, put some more root stimulator on them, which we used. And we amended the soil, you know, with compost at the time. Mm -hmm. But um, one thing I was questioning is I was part of the planting, but not part of when they put the landscape material down and the mulch. And they had that landscape material just totally up to the, you know, the, the trunk of the trees and then the mulch up there, too. And she told me to take, the owner of the nursery told me to take, well, she didn't even know that it was like that because they did not install these plants. So she said, dig down about five or six inches and see the moisture level. And we recently got a group of people together who are keeping them, you know, watered for sure. I don't know about, you know, people up at church actually doing it because the church was closed. But anyway, so... Uh, is that a, the moisture level level is good now, but she also suggested the owner suggested putting a hose on them at like a really slow, like a little more than a drip for about 20 minutes for each one. But what about this landscape material right around the trunk and the mulch? So are you talking about landscape fabric when you're saying material? So yeah. it's like a cloth. Basically, yeah, and it's pretty pretty heavy too. I know it's getting moisture through it, but right. you know it's right around the trunk. Like it looks like they started around the trunk and then fanned it out. Yeah, they out. should probably. Be, I mean, pulling it back out a little bit. Uh, you know, running a hose 
you know, and drip for 20 minutes, I don't think that's going to do all that much good. And uh, but probably I'd do it a little bit longer than that once, a, you know, once a week, especially during the heat of the summertime. And just simply realize anything that's brown is never going to turn green again. So that's not going to do a bit of good for the aesthetics of what's going on right now. Well, we had, I don't know, we just yesterday, actually, there's going to be people coming on. The staff at the church, the maintenance man, would do the 20 minutes like on Monday. And then I have um, a people coming on Wednesday and Friday to do additional watering since it's, you know, brand new garden. Most of the other stuff looks fine. Right. But it's just these tailored junipers. But when we looked that up on the Internet, it said, well, maybe, you know, it's what you're saying, but it said don't cut the brown off of them. That would kill them for sure. So I don't know. I think we'll probably lose one. The whole top of it's brown. The rest of it's green. But the other ones have brown, like, you know, a little bit, like, throughout. So should we cut that off? Should we not cut it off? I would just leave it alone for right now. Okay. And just, you know, next year, to make a decision at that point. But these have been installed too too recently, so just leave them alone. Okay. But the watering, you know, do you suggest pulling back all that landscape material at least, like, maybe about five or six inches? It's not going to do that. It's not going to make that much difference, to be honest. Oh, well, what about the mulch? Should that be right up? Yeah, I don't like mulch right up next to a trunk. So Yeah, I knew you did. You know, four or five inches away is adequate. Okay. And so we just kind of continue. I know we don't want to overwater them, but I don't think that was the case. But the soil, you know, the soil and the one that I took back all this from the base of the tree, it was pretty... It was pretty much clay. Right. So when I was like working on that, I put in some com- more compost to Good. it. That was perfect. And then okay, also when so, they were planted, they should have been planted high, the top of the root ball above the surrounding ground. Yeah, seeing on the internet, it says it can be it can be level. No, we had, we had not here, different- not with our soils. No. Yeah, we had a lot of different people working on this deal. So right. I don't know. So, well, good luck with that. Yeah, just kind of leave them alone, you know, water them, just make sure they don't go through any kind of drought stress at all because, I mean, that kind of the worst thing for newly installed plants. So, anyway, uh, good luck with that. And sorry, Kathy, Tom, and Yolanda, we're not going to be able to get to you today. But everybody, as you're walking outside, make sure that your irrigation system's on and running for extended periods of time or if you're running sprinklers and stuff like that, extended periods of time because you want the water to drop deeply or go deeply into the soil. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.